Welcome to the NM Cool podcast. I'm your host, Mary Charlotte Domandi. NM Cool is the New Mexico Coalition to Enhance Working Lands, and its fifth annual summit is happening in the spring of 2022. This is a time of uncertainty and profound change when so many of us are fatigued from multiple stresses, and so it's more important than ever to focus on effective collaboration and good working relationships. This series of six podcasts addresses some big topics facing people who are working with the land, and we hope it helps you stay on course and resilient. I'd like now to welcome Isabel Yeniches. She's co-founder of the New Mexico Healthy Soil Working Group. Welcome. Hi, Mary Charlotte. Glad to be here. So good to have you. The New Mexico Healthy Soil Working Group is a grassroots group that's all about basically, I mean, it's a coalition of, of many different people, farmers and producers and consumers, and it's all about fostering healthy soil in the state of New Mexico. Tell us about this group, how it got started and what it is. Yeah, you know, as the name implies, we are um, all about healthy soil, as you said. And we got our start about three years ago, a little longer now, in 2018 in the fall. Basically, a couple of us got together with the idea to write and pass a healthy soil bill for the state of New Mexico. So that was, you know, with the idea to inspire more people to try soil health stewardship on their lands and also to give resources to those who are wishing to implement soil health because it can be costly, right, when you change your ways. So we got started with a stakeholder survey and listening session and coalition building And based on that, we put a bill together. Also, we looked at other states that already have some healthy soil bills. And lo and behold, we got a lot of uh, positive feedback on this work. (laughs) So to speak, there was a fertile ground that we were building on. And the Healthy Soil Act was introduced uh, in both houses in 2019 in in the session. And it passed very quickly with bipartisan support, even even unanimously in the Senate. And then it was written into law by the governor uh, on April 4, I believe, in 2019. So that was a a, a swift and decisive win that really showed us there is a lot of need for this. People want to engage with soil health, uh, but they do need the resources to do so, because that is really what the Healthy Soil Act aims to do. At the heart of it is the Healthy Soil Program that really gives incentives to farmers, ranchers, other land managers to implement soil health in their work, in their business, on their working lands. And it does that by giving out grants. Uh, There's also education that's mentioned in the bill, a couple other provisions, but really the Healthy Soil Program is at the heart of it. And ever since it was passed, the, the Healthy Soil Act, we've been able to stay involved as a grassroots support of it. And, you know, secure actually recurring funding and, you know, just to stay involved as stakeholders with the Department of Agriculture, which is now administering the Healthy Soil Program. So we're not a government entity or anything like that. We're not funded by the government or, you know, by the Healthy Soil Program, but we are just really a grassroots group that um, 
engages in policy as a way to organize community, you know, community organizing that's really at the heart of what we do. And we use policy as a movement building tool. I think it's a really beautiful example of how citizens groups that are private nonprofit groups can have a really great influence on the state where agriculture is concerned. So you're not your group is not government, but you worked hard in conjunction with our elected officials to get a bill passed that promotes healthy soils. And by the way, at the end of this program, we will let people know how they can apply for grants and when the deadlines are and other ways that they can get involved. So there's a lot of things that have happened in the last several years. I mean, it's only been three years since the bill was passed, 2019 to the present, but a lot has happened since then. So one of the things is that grantees have received funding to do healthy soil projects. What are some examples of that? Like, what does that actually look like on the ground, literally? Yeah, that's been very exciting to witness. You know, like I said, our group doesn't actually give out the grants. We're not even on the review committee, but we do stay very involved in promoting the grant opportunity, helping people with grant writing and how to apply for it and, you know, all the ins and outs of that. And then we also like currently on our website, on our blog, we feature a couple projects that have received funding and that are very, very inspiring to see. I mean, honestly, this is why I do this work, right? Uh, to, to see on the ground uh, improvement in soil health. And so one of the farms that we feature on our blog is uh, Barnhouse Farms in Melrose. And the farmers, Kimberly and Toby Boswick, are talking about how for decades, really, for over 25 years, they've been working uh, in, in agriculture, been farming, and it's a multi-generational farm. So, you know, they basically did things the way they were done for, for decades, you know, which involves chemicals and plowing and, you know, ways that are honestly not very good for the soil, as we learn now. And so they were really interested in changing their ways. And uh, they learned about regenerative farming and they applied for a healthy soil grant. And so then they used this funding to put a cover crop in, to graze the cover crop with uh, rotational grazing, actually with high-intensity rotational grazing. And they saw incredible improvements within very short time. Kimberly told me, you know, it's it's been amazing to witness when now in the spring we have all these winds and the soil blows away from our neighbors' properties that are not covered in cover crop. But we don't have that. We don't have those dust storms anymore. And we really see an improvement in soil health in a very short time. She also said something very interesting that, that I think is so true. She mentioned that it requires an entirely new mindset in regard to farming and old habits are hard to break. So we, really the biggest change, as is often said, has to take place between your ears. And mm-hmm. you know that is hard if you've done something the same way for decades to try something new. So the Healthy Soil Program, the grants, they help a little bit with that. They ease that financial burden and they defray the risk of failing, which of course there is a risk involved. You talked about the importance of the change in mindset. How would you characterize that change in mindset? Yeah, so it's it's really quite substantial because 
I would say, well, ever since the Second World War, for sure, but one could even go back further. You know, plowing has been done for a long time. Uh, and then after the Second World War, chemicals came into play. And, um, you know, a lot of the old and beneficial ways of fertilizing the soil and fertilizing plants were um, replaced by kind of a, a chemical thinking, right? And just sort of fertilizer, uh, put this on and, and feed your plants this way. And it, it's a very siloed approach to growing food. You're not looking at the whole ecosystem. You're not striving to establish the healthy soil as the foundation of a healthy food production, you know. And so the, the outcomes are okay for a while. I mean, the yields were going up and that was important, but now we're really seeing the cost that that brings. It's the cost to the environment, it's the cost to our health even, because we're learning more and more that the nutritional value of the food that's grown with chemical inputs is, is not the same as with foods that are grown uh, with healthy soil. That's a very important aspect. So it's it's a very big shift from, you know, like I said, a siloed approach to put on what's needed to a approach that really looks at the whole ecosystem in a holistic way and that sees the farm as part of that ecosystem. Right. So you mentioned that some grantees are doing things that involve cover cropping and grazing the cover crops. Another piece that I think is is happening as a result of these grants is compost. Mm. Can, can you talk about that a bit? Yes, I'm very big on compost. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's one of the things that's really not done enough in New Mexico. So there's um, a lot of compost that's available, so to speak, as um, as a result of animal operations. And so that's, that's often used to spray on fields without composting. No, that's a problem. But, you know, you could turn it around and see that as, as a resource, you know, so that could be available uh, for composting. And similarly, in our households, by and large, we don't have composting pickup in New Mexico cities. There's a couple um, businesses that do that, but it's it's pricey, you know. So there's not really composting is not very accessible for people that are lower income or don't have a yard, for example. So one of the things that um, our group has been working on is again we accumulated a coalition that's actually open to anyone who would like to join. That's the way we do tend to do things. So it's called the New Mexico Composting Coalition. And for the last half a year or so, we've been developing a community composting program. And we just actually wrote it all up and it will be a website soon. And it will have open source plans for bins that people can build themselves or, you know, apply funding for or whatever. So those composting bins are really designed for our arid environment. And they would be communally in a sort of a co-op fashion. People use them. They're good for like about 75 households or so. And people share in the, in the upkeep and maintenance of it and not just dropping off their compost oils, right? But yeah, so that is, that is a good um, way to provide an opportunity for composting, right? Because it can be hard to do if you don't have the resources, but it, it really is a, an important piece. And again, it turns something that's now considered waste, which is you know, food scraps, into a resource, which is then 
compost which can be added to the soil, which is so important in terms of organic matter for our arid environment. Compost can help greatly with that. It really helps with water retention in the soil. So there are lots and lots of benefits. There's so much possibility for building healthy soil in New Mexico. And, you know, we talked about no-till farming, cover cropping, composting. What are some kinds of projects that maybe you are looking to promote and that people could apply for that haven't happened yet in New Mexico? Yeah, so I I may back up a tiny little bit because one thing that's really important and that our group is trying to promote is to think in terms of principles rather than practices. So practices come out of the principles, but so there's the soil health principles and some of the listeners may have heard of them because they have been in everybody's mouth. So for example, keep soil covered, minimize soil disturbance and external inputs, maximize biodiversity, maintain living roots and integrate animals and know your context. So those are the ones that we promote that's a great list. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we could go, you know, into more detail about each one of them because it's it's a very rich concept, right, to to look at those principles. But basically when when those are followed and they reinforce each other, so it's it's a wonderful uh feedback loop that starts happening. And that's how you really rebuild the ecosystem. So you're not just, you know, addressing things piecemeal, which would be, again, a little bit more in that sort of siloed mindset. But you're really looking at the whole ecosystem and, and at the systems approach to, to what you're doing. And so in that, I do believe that keeping the soil covered is really the most important piece in soil health, in our arid environment. And that can take a lot of different forms you know in in a in a home garden it could be just mulch i mean the best is always to have green plants living plants because again they also address other soil health principles like having a living root in the ground but you know if you can't do that you could do mulching so there's a lot that you can do with with cover crops as well even in the home garden and then, of course, on the farms, we do see cover crops a lot. You know, that seems to be the the sort of gateway to soil health. And for good reason, because, again, cover crops, they address a couple of different soil health principles all at once. They keep the soil covered. They minimize soil disturbance because you have a sort of bio drilling that can happen. If you have a cover crop with daikon, for example, this sort of big tuberous root it acts like a, it, it kind of opens up a channel in the soil. And then if it is allowed to deteriorate in the soil, it will actually leave, you know, a channel for air to enter the soil. So it's kind of like drilling, but it's good for the soil, kind of like tilling, right? And then they also, you could have integrating animals with a cover crop if you graze it, which that's the best way. So it's cover crops for good reason are, are very beloved, and I think it's really important to say outright what a huge problem erosion is, especially in the arid climate that we live in. And as this climate gets drier, which is the trend that we're in right now. Yes. And in New Mexico, it's actually wind erosion that's the biggest problem. So, yeah. of course, in, in wetter environments, you have a lot of flooding, although you do have that here, too, because you get a 
kind of a desert pavement effect with deteriorating soil health in New Mexico, where you get, um, you know, just a very, the, the rain that we do get just runs off and then you have erosion with flooding uh, potential. But the wind erosion is really our biggest problem. And so keeping the soil covered is, is really essential so that, you, that it doesn't blow away simply. So let's get back to this question, and I appreciate your, your talking about the principles behind the practices. What are some other practices that might be sort of the next generation of healthy soil practices? Yes, so um, I just from witnessing a little bit like which programs get funded or which projects get funded through the Healthy Soil Program and also just meeting a lot of producers here in New Mexico, I think what's really still pretty difficult is the adaptive multi-paddock grazing or plant grazing or holistic management grazing. You hear a lot of different terms or regenerative grazing is sometimes called. I think it's coming, but I think that's still uh, met with a lot of skepticism and it has some real practical obstacles to overcome. So the basic principle is really that you have kind of a more effective form of rotational grazing. One paddock is grazed at a time while other paddocks recover and livestock numbers are adjusted, you know, as needed to match the, match the available forage as conditions change. So you have to monitor quite a bit. You make a plan, you adjust it. And you have to also have the ability to subdivide your pastures and so that is often done with electric fencing, which you can actually apply for with the Healthy Soil Program. But you also need water. So you need to have water infrastructure, which can be very costly. And unfortunately, the Healthy Soil Program doesn't pay for that. Other programs like from the NRCS, from the National Resource Conservation Service, they do cover those kind of investments, for example. But, you know, it's, it's a big deal. You can get water in there with some mobile devices, but, you know, it's, that's all very innovative. So, you know, you, you don't see it so much done yet, although we have some really great examples in New Mexico, but we do need to see a lot more of it because we have so much rangeland in New Mexico. So that's one of the things that I believe all of us working in this space need to uh, just uh, show more examples that's the way we like to work, you know, have peer-to-peer -peer events, field days, so that uh, you can learn from your neighbor how to do this. Do you see some examples of holistic plant grazing working out well in New Mexico and, and replacing the way they've done oh, it yeah, before? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And those are people who, in some cases, they've done it for decades. So there's definitely a history here. I just, it's not, it hasn't gone mainstream yet. And why that is the case, well, it's hard to say, you know. I think at some point you just reach a critical mass and then hopefully it can take off. There are some other kinds of projects that people are doing involving solar energy and agriculture. What are those? Yes, I'm obsessed with agrivoltaics. I think it's just such a cool thing. <laughs> agrivoltaics, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first if you hadn't heard it before. <laughs> yeah, probably not because it's it's rare. The basic idea is to, well, so there's a little bit the danger right now that solar farms are replacing real farms. I do see it, you know, that, that solar panels are placed on farmland. And we do 
need to keep our farmlands. We do need to grow food for our, our state. And uh, we do want to encourage local food production. So there's a real wonderful concept how to have your cake and eat it too, right? So you can have solar panels and you can grow food underneath. That is agrivoltaics. And in our environment, wonderfully, it actually is beneficial for both the solar panels and the produce. There's some wonderful research done uh, actually at the Biosphere 2 in Arizona. And they found that the microclimates that exist under the solar panels are actually beneficial to food production. It, it creates more moisture, keeps the moisture, of course, there's a lot of shade, so it keeps the moisture in the soil longer. Um, things don't burn up quite as much. So, of course, it depends a little bit what you grow, but they've gotten really good results with things like peppers even and broccoli and kale. So, very cool. Do the panels prevent the rain from falling on the food? Uh, there's that, but it actually creates, like you could collect it. You see that there's like a little channel that collects it and um, stores it for later, for example. And then you can have a drip system or something. Yeah, it's a very interesting way to grow food and you get two income streams, right? Because you get, as a farmer, you get the money from the lease for the solar panels and then you can also harvest your produce. Very, very interesting. Yeah. And so if, if anybody wants to do that, the um, healthy soils legislation, the, the funding for that can actually help them to get started? You know, I don't know that that would be the case. Uh, if you came up with a project that involves some sort of soil health project under those solar panels, let's say you want to sow a cover crop under solar panels and then graze it, that could work, you know, but everything that you apply for with the Healthy Soil Program has to be, it has to address, uh, you know, soil health and has to be embedded in a soil health plan, so to speak. So, okay. But solar grazing is a real, a good opportunity as well. And that's also not done very much. I mean, the main, mainly what you see with solar farms or solar panels in general is that they're just barren underneath. Just a, it's a real loss for the soil and for opportunities. There's some amazing projects that have been done where you have uh, pollinator plantings under the solar panels or you have native grasses and uh, they're doing very well. It's also really good for wildlife. And then you can graze it, mostly done with sheep, but even with some well-behaved goats, it can be done. And then mm -hmm. you, again, you have your two income streams. So you are from the New Mexico Healthy Soil Working Group, your co-founder. And so right now, you know, as, as we speak, how are you helping people to make connections so that they can get their healthy soil projects funded and implemented and, you know, have the right resources? Yeah, I, I would say we do this in two ways. So one way is to really offer grant writing workshops and one-on-one -on -one consulting. You know, you can just call us up and we talk you through. That's really connected very directly to the Healthy Soil Program. And because it's open right now, you know, that's very much um, what we do right now. But in general, how we connect people is through social connections. That's That's a big part of our work. And we really believe that that's very, very helpful. And we've seen it 
working and it's it's also really fun. So we have the Soil Health Champions in New Mexico. That's actually a national program from the National Association for Conservation Districts. And we basically just took it on to expand this program here in our state. We started with five soil health champions and now there's over a hundred within you know a year and a half or two years. So that, that's been going rapidly because I believe that there's a lot of people that are already doing really amazing work with soil health and having those talk to each other and having those talk to their neighbors, that's really the best way to, to spread the good news of all the things that soil health can accomplish for us. I think it's important, even though a lot of people who are listening may know this already, but I think it's really important to contextualize the importance of healthy soil in the big picture. It's not just about agriculture. It's, I mean, when you look at the the holistic picture, it's about pretty much everything. How do you, how do you think about healthy soil kind of in the big picture? Yeah, so this is really how, honestly, I got involved in, in this advocacy, community building, community organizing work. I realized, you know, quite frankly, that soil health can be a solution to climate change. That is maybe a little bit more known now than a decade ago, but still I think a lot of people don't realize the incredible potential that we have here to address climate change and with it to address a whole host of other problems that we face with our current food system. So just to stick with the climate change portion, depending on how you slice it, if you look at the whole food system, agriculture has to do with about up to a quarter of all emissions that are causing global warming. You know, that's not just farming, but that's also transportation and processing of food. And so there's an enormous potential here if we do things differently to do better, right, to get rid of those emissions. So one of the ways uh, in which agriculture can actually be a positive force in climate change is that we can sequester the carbon that's in the atmosphere right now in excess. So that's the CO2. It can actually be stored in the soil. And that's how it goes when the cycle isn't broken. Basically, it's photosynthesis. Plants, and there's really any kind of plant, not just trees, which are best known for this superpower, right? But any plant does it. Through photosynthesis, they take in CO2, they produce sugars for their own growth, and then they excrete some of those sugars through their root system and attract soil microbes. Those soil microbes, in turn, bring minerals that they sort of mine and make available to the plant and so there's this amazing exchange going on under the ground. And as part of that exchange, the carbon that's taken out of the atmosphere and the carbon that is part of the, the bodies of the soil microbes, and, and micro and macro organisms actually in the soil, they all contribute to the carbon being stored in the soil. You know, basically things die, <laughs> poop, you know, excrete. And that's all carbonaceous and it gets stored in the soil and it actually gets locked in there for a long time if it's a healthy soil and doesn't get disturbed. So that's a huge opportunity to, to really um, restore that cycle in the same way the water cycle is disturbed right now. 
if you have bare soil, you have a whole lot more evaporation uh, from the soil. And um, at the same time, you don't have enough water vapor, like transpiration from the, from the green plants on the soil. So we are in a negative feedback cycle with a small water cycle, just not, again, not very well known. But again, a healthy soil is the solution to both these very, very dire uh, situations that we find ourselves in, our lack, of, our lack of water and our you know, climate change, our, our heating planet. So it's, it's very, very big. And yet it's something that we all can have a part in providing a solution for. Now, when is that ever happening, right? <laughs> well, and what I appreciate about this and why this work is so exciting to me personally is that in the process of restoring the water cycle and sequestering vast amounts of carbon in the soil, you are also, by the way, producing healthier food and contributing in, for example, these solar projects to renewable energy and having exactly. healthier farmers. I know. So it's like I start so talking about one benefit and then I forget actually five others. <laughs> so exactly. It's just so incredible. It's not just a win-win solution. It's a win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win solution. Yeah. <laughs> so if people want to apply for funding, if they're producers listening or people who are working with producers who are listening to this, the application period is open until the 12th of May. How do people find out more about this and how do they access the work of the New Mexico Healthy Soil Working Group to, you know, to facilitate this process? Yeah, so the application period, again, is a program by the New Mexico Department of Agriculture, the Healthy Soil Program. So the application period is uh, from March 18 to May 12, 2022. So the best way to find out more about the Healthy Soil Program is to visit the website of the Department of Agriculture. And the URL is basically, it's a long URL, but it's nmda.nmsu.edu slash healthy-soil-program. And I bet if they put it in a search engine, they'll find it too. Exactly. But you have to say, you know, New Mexico Department of Agriculture, Healthy Soil Program. Then you, then you okay. get there. And so they have a lot of information. They did a bunch of webinars, you know, they have fact sheets, Q&As, and they're super helpful. So you can always call them up and they will be happy to help you with your application. From our side, you know, from our grassroots advocate group side, we are offering one-on-one -on -one consulting and grant writing support. And we also did a bunch of webinars really trying to help folks with grant writing. And those are recorded and on our YouTube channel. And we also have a website and that is nmhealthysoil.org. And there's one more thing because it's tax time is tax day, April 15th is coming up. And if people want, they can contribute, for example, their tax refund to the Healthy Soil Program, or, or they can also send a check. How does that work? Yeah, that was pretty cool. So our group always is wondering, like, how can we find more funding for the Healthy Soil Program? Because a lot more people apply with good ideas than can get funded. Yeah. And so... One of the ways we came up with is this um, 
already some other opportunities for folks to donate their state tax refund to good causes, but none of them actually for agriculture. So we were able to pass a bill last year. Actually, it passed unanimously, which when does that ever happen? <laughs> so it was a bill that basically makes it possible for folks that are lucky enough to get a state tax refund and not necessarily need it. They can donate part or all of it to the Healthy Soil program. And it is, you know, a form that you have to fill out that's called the PIT-D form, P-I-T-D form. On our website, we actually link to it. So that's probably the easiest way to figure out how to do this or your tax consultant might know how to do that. But basically, when you get busy with your taxes and you fill in everything and you see, oh, I'm getting a refund, at that point, you can tell, uh, sort of allocate part of that refund to the Healthy Soil program. Excellent. To find out more about the New Mexico Healthy Soil Working Group, of which Isabel Yeniches is the co-founder, you can go to nmhealthysoil.org. Isabel, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Mary Charlotte. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the NM Cool podcast. If you want to learn more about the New Mexico Coalition to Enhance Working Lands, visit nmcool.org. That's n-m-c-e-w-l.org, where you can listen to other episodes of this podcast and learn more about our members' work and ways you can get involved.